Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Divorce is a death, you know, it's the death of your marriage and all the hopes, all the dreams of happily ever after that you had. And it really surprises people sometimes when they find themselves experiencing grief and, you know, everything that goes along with that when their marriage ends. And so let's talk about grief. What is it? It's the normal you know, response to loss. It's how we react when we've lost something that's important to us. And it affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually. It hits us everywhere. And I think it's important to realize that when you're going through a divorce, you will need time and space to grieve your losses in order to be really ready to adapt to your divorce and to move forward. Welcome to JBD Team Talks with your host, Karen McMahon. During Team Talks, you get a chance to meet our JBD coaches as we discuss challenges and difficulties that are common to everyone facing divorce and provide you with tips and strategies to help you master the art of managing your thoughts, calming your emotions, and intentionally choosing your responses. And now for today's topic. Welcome back to another episode of Team Talks. I am here with Carrie Dance today. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Karen. It's great to be here with you again. I'm so excited about our topic. Yes. Our topic (laughs) today is a really um, important one. It's divorce grief, how to honor, process, and grow through your grief. And You know, this is so important because uh, I don't believe that divorce grief is given the um, the respect and the attention that it needs. And we really do need to grieve through our divorce. And so, Carrie, can you kick this off for us? Sure. I mean, you, you just set the stage beautifully. It's like, why are we talking about this? Because it is often overlooked. You know, I'll be talking with a client and they'll be sharing. They're heartbroken. They're going through this, that, and the other thing. And when I just say the words, you know, you're grieving. Mm. It seems to make sense. You know, it's like, oh, I didn't really think of it that way. And so when we talk about it sort of up front, we give people permission, really, to honor 
to process their grief and like you said, to grow from it. And, and divorce is a death, you know, it's the death of your marriage and all the hopes, all the dreams of happily ever after that you had. And it really surprises people sometimes when they find themselves experiencing grief and, you know, everything that goes along with that when their marriage ends. And so let's talk about grief. What is it? It's the normal you know, response to loss. It's how we react when we've lost something that's important to us. And it affects us physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, spiritually. It hits us everywhere. And I think it's important to realize that when you're going through a divorce, you will need time and space to grieve your losses in order to be really ready to adapt to your divorce and to move forward. And grieve Grieving is a critical step in navigating through your divorce. So uh, we thought it was important to talk about this today. And I want to say from the get-go, there is no right way to grieve. You know, it's like some people say, oh, am I doing this right? You know, it's like, it's so individual. Everybody is going to grieve differently. And we want you to be able to understand the process We want you to understand, especially and learn that you're not crazy. You're not doing it wrong. You're just grieving the way that you grieve. Yeah. And just like everyone has opinions about every other aspect of your divorce, uh, there will be people who might tell you um, it's been too long already. It's time to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or a lot of other things. And the truth is, um, your your grieving is is as um, as authentic as your personality, and so, uh, irregardless of what anyone else thinks about the way that you're navigating the emotions of this, uh, today's conversation is to encourage you to to trust that whatever it is, however it is that you're going through this grief process it's perfect for you. And it's, it's exactly as it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And it hits us, especially emotionally, you know, there's a range of emotions that we experience in the death of our marriage. So you may be experiencing all of them or just some of them. And they also may not occur in the order that we're going to talk about them, but you know, it's more fluid So we're going to talk today just about the stages uh, of grief. And this work comes from the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who did groundbreaking work in understanding the process of dying. And when we are looking at our own death, we're going to go through these kind of stages. And I I equate it to the death of a marriage. And I, I think that that's why it it really works in this context. So the very first stage is denial. So we're, you know, that's the first step in dealing with the death of your marriage. And that's a psychological defense mechanism or a coping mechanism that comes into play to protect the mind and the emotions from being completely overwhelmed with pain. So we're holding on to the hope that we'll wake up from this really bad dream at any moment. 
and we refuse to accept the reality. We suppress it out of our awareness because it's just too overwhelming. You hear people say things like, I can't believe this is happening. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that that is kind of the stage they're in. And it's often the stage you're in at the beginning. You know, you have to wrap your mind around this and, and you don't want to. And so if you're broadsided by the request for a divorce, it can take some time to let the reality of the situation sink in. Even if you've initiated the divorce, you may also be in denial about how much you will be grieving after you start the process. Yeah. And yeah, it's it. I think it surprises people. It's like, I asked for this. I wanted this. So why am I feeling grief? As if it's wrong, too. That's where, you know, I, I'll keep saying, like, please don't judge your grief because yeah. Yeah. however it's it's showing up. And I was one of the people who asked for it and was very surprised at the numerous times where denial uh, came to the surface. And I and I judged myself and I thought, well, what's my problem? I chose this and it, it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, it really doesn't. So that's the denial phase. You know, the next phase is anger. So anger is part of our human nature to get angry when we've been deeply hurt. You know, so like we feel wronged, we feel betrayed, and we're definitely into the blame game. You know, we're blaming uh, our spouse, we're blaming outside circumstances. We're looking for whose fault is this? Not my fault. You know, if only he or she would have changed, we wouldn't need to be going through this divorce. And when we're in this stage of anger, we also feel this need to be right. We need to be validated. We need to be justified that our position is the right one and the other parties is the wrong one. And it can become uh, the, the divorce itself can become a battlefield where, you know, we just wage war. You know, if we're stuck in this stage, we just decide only one person is going to win and it's going to be me, you know, and um, we're going to be the, the victor in the end. And this can get really ugly, you know, if we're approaching the divorce proceedings from this stage, you're determined to win and your partner must lose in order for you to win. And if you're not the person who wanted the divorce, you may hear yourself also saying things like, it's not fair. I did everything I could, could to save this marriage and anger at the other person, anger at ourselves, just a lot of anger, you know, is stirred up at this, this stage. And here's the interesting thing. A lot of people are not comfortable with anger. You know, they think well, there's something wrong with me. You know, I shouldn't be feeling this rage that I feel towards my partner, towards life, towards myself. But it's very common that it's going to come up. So it is part of the process of assimilating the death of the marriage. So we'll talk later about ways to express and release anger in a little bit. But most people don't have a lot of safe outlets for sort of dumping their anger. They find it really scary to be around it in themselves and to be around it with other people. And it's not even your own anger that you're dealing with, but the anger of other people. I, I So many uh, clients have told me, it's like, I, you know, I feel pretty much, you know, in um, 
acceptance of this, but boy, is my family mad. You know, they tell their family, the children, especially sometimes adult children, they tell the in-laws, the family members. Um, I had a client who is not good at expressing anger, but boy, her family was. And every time she would talk with her parents, she had to actually ask them to, to not bring up the subject anymore because she was so uncomfortable at the amount of anger that they would express, you know, that was like, Oh, we never liked him. He's such a blah, 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 you know? And it made her really uncomfortable because they would have these conversations in front of her kids and it was, it was not cool. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that, that it also brings up the point, which we'll be talking about throughout the conversation that, um, you're not, you're also not the only one grieving, right? Yeah. Your kids are angry. They're grieving. Your in-laws are angry. They're grieving. Your parents are angry. They're like, everybody's, everybody's having some kind of grief experience through this. And so um, that makes it all the more complex because you're trying to take care of you. If you're judging you and then everybody else has theirs, it becomes a bit of a hot mess just on that emotional level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so the next stage is ambivalence or bargaining. And mm. we try to figure out how to fix the relationship. We try to figure out how to convince our spouse that they're making a big mistake by wanting this divorce. And we promise to change. You know, I, it's like, I'll do anything. And then we enter. It, it's a very confusing time because we get into this, this territory where we try to strike a bargain. You know, we try to fend off the inevitable. Uh, okay, I'm willing to do more in the bedroom. I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to, uh, you know, be a better husband. I'm willing to, you know, I'm, I'm, you got my attention. I'm listening. You hear this a lot. You are acknowledging that the divorce is on the horizon, but you're trying to stop it. And it, it, this, this is a tough one because this is where, it's like you almost feel that sense of desperation, you know, I'll do anything. And your spouse often will hear these words, but they, they won't believe you. They've moved on emotionally. They've given you, in their minds, umpteen chances to change and you haven't changed. And what's going to be different now? Well, you heard that the divorce is happening and you're just trying to stop it. But it is a big part of the, the, the process of the grief. And, and I would say that from the other point of view, if you're the one who um, decided to get a divorce, your spouse may be in the bargaining process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times my clients have seen that as he or she's trying to manipulate me yeah. and getting clear that actually you're just further ahead and they're trying to wrap their brain around it. And that part of the process is real. And I think understanding that bargaining is bargaining and not necessarily manipulation is also very helpful going yeah. through this. Well, I think just getting the sense of the emotional content, manipulation feels a little different. This bargaining stage is, it's a real desperation. It's a Hail Mary. Uh, yeah. I can't imagine not being married uh, to this person, even though I'm not all that happy, but wow, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to stave that off because right, it's fear. Right. You know, we get into fear of the unknown, fear of this uncertain future that's coming. 
Yeah. 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 So the next stage is depression. And so like when the denial, the anger, the bargaining have not turned, you know, out so well, and we haven't, we're still headed for a divorce. We're hurt. This, this is when the hurt starts coming in and we know that the end is coming and the feelings of sadness, of anguish, of despair, regret, all of that, they come flooding in. Our hearts ache, you know, they feel broken. And the loss of the relationship is really felt along with all the other secondary losses of, you know, the role of being a wife or a husband, um, the, the, you know, losing the access to your children that you're used to having, loss of status, a loss of security, even sometimes a sense of uh, a loss of meaning and purpose, you know? So all these dreams of retiring to Florida or living more carefree when the children are gone, all those plans that you had and, and you really had invested emotionally in that future that you were going to have together, It's a loss of all of those things. And it can feel so overwhelming because it's not just the loss of the relationship. It's all of these. And they have to be recognized. They have to be articulated and talked about. Um, You know, there's so many smaller deaths that happen with the divorce. The loss of your in-laws, you know, especially if this has been, you know, I I have many clients who it's like, this is my second mom, you know. And she is not going to be my second mom anymore because she's been told to take sides. Yeah. 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 And, you know, missing being with your children and having to split your time with them, that causes so much anger, sadness, all of that, right? You know, they they say that the death of a, a, a loved one is, you know, the... Um, the greatest uh, loss. And yet, as we always talk about this, um, divorce is so um, multidimensional as you're describing all of the different relationships. I lost my in-laws and my mother-in-law was like a second and perhaps preferred mother to me. And I, I, that was that was so heartbreaking and so and like you said the children the friends the status so it's just so multi-dimensional regardless of whether you decided or someone decided for you I, i've yet to meet a human being that didn't really struggle with loss on a number of those different levels Going through divorce is challenging. It involves many issues, legal, financial, emotional, and social, and requires the guidance of a seasoned legal team to achieve optimal outcomes. That's the promise of Laufer, Delena, Jensen, Bradley, and Doran. Choosing the right family lawyer could be the most important decision you make in the divorce process. There's life after divorce, and Laufer's team helps you to get there. Providing options to mediate, arbitrate, collaborate, or litigate, the firm handles issues such as alimony, custody, child support, and equitable distribution. Each case is staffed with both a male and female attorney as their clients benefit from having both gender perspectives on their side, and that distinguishes their firm. 
You can get your free consultation today by calling 973-285-1444 and mention that you heard about them on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. You know, there's a saying, uh, you know, I'm not going to get the quote exactly correct, but this is Stephen Levine, who's done a lot of work with, um, you know, helping people with uh, process through death and dying. Uh, He says, you know, the loss of a spouse through death, you know, breaks your heart. It's heartbreaking. But the loss of a spouse through divorce shreds it. And I really know what he meant because I felt that in my own divorce, because not only are are you sad and depressed and feeling all that brokenhearted stuff, you're also turning the blame sometimes inward, like Mm -hmm. saying things like, I'm no good at relationships. Um, I failed, you know, to have a good marriage. And you're really blaming, you know, sometimes yourself for what's wrong with me. And, and I hear people say that a lot. What's wrong with me? Why, why, why does this person not love me anymore? And so it, it sort of takes your self-esteem also Uh, takes a huge hit. And that's what he he means. I think by shredding it, because it, it leaves you with, with pieces of yourself that you then have to put back together and it takes some time and it takes some work. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's okay to feel really sad. It's, it's important to give yourself that time. People to say to me, I I can't stop crying, but you know, it's like at this stage when, you know, when you sort of encounter the sadness of it all, crying is normal. Crying is good. Crying is healthy. And so that's one of the things that I I do encourage people to just like, give yourself the time to express this hurt. This is where people can kind of get stuck, too. They're afraid of the crying. You know, they're afraid of the depth of their sadness. Uh, They try to stuff it down. They try to suppress it, avoid it, you know, distract themselves, numb themselves. And if you try to do that too much, it can become a, a depression, like almost a sense of emptiness, like you're you're kind of not willing to give yourself that space you need to feel all of those um, emotions so you get like a smaller version of yourself where you know you're just trying to cope with everything you feel kind of dead inside and you get stuck in that in that that. stage of it Yeah. yeah yeah and i've i've had clients who have said to me um i'm afraid to cry because if I start, I just can't imagine ever stopping. Like, so there's just like this tidal wave inside that's like Mm -hmm. trying to, and they're just, just doing everything they can to keep it to almost like try to keep control, keep it Mm -hmm. down. And the truth is none of us cry for forever and Mm -hmm. talk about releasing. I mean, I find that crying and tears is just one of the best ways of releasing so much of that pent up emotional energy. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm working with a client and they start to cry, you you can see them like take the the tissue and kind of dab at their eyes and go, that's enough. All better now. And and I was just like, no, let this go. Come on. It's okay. You know, go at it. Why don't you cry? Like it's an Olympic sport. Just (laughs) go for it. It's not (laughs) tears, the whole thing, you know, (laughs) 
crying is healthy. It's healing. And uh, crying with others to witness you can also be comforting. You know, you have to find safe people, of course. But when you find those safe people and they tell you it's okay to cry all your tears, you can feel cathartic. Like you're, you know, you're releasing something. You feel better. It's like you have this wad of emotions that have been stuck in here and and you let it go. Uh, It's not a bottomless pit, you know? Yeah. So you just let it go. Let the waterworks start. And, you know, guess what? Men cry too. You know, it's like people think that, uh, oh, men don't cry. That absolutely is not true because we all coach men and women on our team. And, you know, it's a human experience. We cry when we're hurt. There's no shame in it. Yeah. No shame. No shame. And so the next thing is acceptance and acceptance is, uh, you know, people struggle with this sometimes because they think, oh, this is resignation. Oh, I give up. Right. In a way, it's um, like if that can be a precursor to acceptance where you just kind of go, oh, I've tried all the way. Okay. I'm just going to like give it up, you know, but then acceptance really comes right after that. It's the realization that we're prepared to live our lives with this new reality, that it's going to be okay. And you hear people, you know, struggling with this in the, in in their languaging, you know, about, they say, you know, I'm still uh, not comfortable telling people that I'm going through a divorce or that I am divorced because it just makes it too real, makes it too, it's like, I'm afraid I'll start, you know, having an emotional reaction when I talk about it. But we know that when we're in acceptance, when we can start to just talk about it neutrally, it's like, this is the, what is, you know, we're going through a divorce. He's okay. I'm okay. The kids are okay. And acceptance comes as we do the work to see our part in the breakdown of the relationship, that it's not just his or her fault that, you know, I had some responsibility in this. It's where we can, when we accept that and we accept that I'm not a bad person, he or she is not a bad person. We were always doing the best that we knew how to do. It may not have felt very good at the time, but we always were doing the best that we knew how to do. And it's best for all of us that we uh, complete this relationship and start. It's almost it, it sounds almost as if when we start touching acceptance, we're able to kind of reaccess a lot of that rational thinking that allows us to kind of rationalize, justify, understand, take ownership. Um, as you're describing it, that's what it sounds like to me, Carrie. And um, the other thing that comes to mind is you can think you're in acceptance and then and then find yourself like I thought I was, but now I'm not. So it's kind of, I always say acceptance is, is yet another journey because mm-hmm. there's so many layers that we have to accept with this kind of a transition that you, you accept that your spouse isn't changing their mind. And then something happens and it's like, nope, not ready to accept that yet. Right. Yeah. We find this a lot. I don't know about you, Kara, but when we're talking, talking about meeting the other 
you know, the, 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 the new love that mm. the, the other spouse has uh, cultivated the other woman, the other, you know, uh, it's like, Hey, I thought I was in acceptance, but he, he wants to bring her to our kid's graduation. And I'm just like, Oh, L L no, you know, I'm not ready for that. So like you said, it comes in layers, you know, you can accept some parts of it, but the next part, okay, that's my next goal of accepting in this uh, new normal that we're going into because that I've got to learn to accept that. And, and isn't it true that like, and let's use that. So, so your ex now has a new love interest. Um, what might happen to the, to the, to the person um, whose ex has a new love interest in terms of going through the grieving process again? Like, can you just touch yeah. on that for a minute? Yeah. In a way, see the, I, I don't like it if if we are giving the impression that there's stages that you move neatly through and it's like, well, I'm done with anger. Well, I'm done with depression. I'm in acceptance. It's not exactly not like so that. much <laughs> it's fluid. We're going to go. I think of grief more as like a spiral. You know, we're going to have these experiences of denial and acceptance and bargaining. And, and but think of it as like. We're, we're going through a spiral where we're going to touch into these experiences over and over again as we're moving around the spiral of grief. If we're doing our grieving work, you know, I like to think of a nice big cinnamon bun and we place that on the plate. Right. And so you see the spiral. Right. It's going up. And you've got your cinnamon bun kind of cut into wedges. And over here, we have anger. Over here, we have sadness. You know, you're going to go through these experiences. But as you are traveling, like the top of the cinnamon bun, the experiences are less intense and less often. And they don't last as long because you are making progress on raising your ability energetically and consciously to work through all of these um, experiences that you're going through. So I like the, the cinnamon bun approach. So I, I love that. I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> I, I grew up on the beach. And so I actually always talk about the waves yeah. and how the grief that I've gone through, how, you know, it's very tsunami like and tidal wave like in the beginning and the, the you kind of get crushed by wave after wave with one of the stages or the other. And then over the course of time, as you're saying, it's like the the emotional um, reaction is not as powerful. And there's also more space between when you find yourself back in some of those stages. And so as you're bouncing around, you know, one of the, I always think of um, one of the signs that you're um, that you're healing is that you touch acceptance. Another sign that you're healing is that the emotional intensity and the time in between those triggers, um, the intensity goes down and the time expands between the triggers. And so I think it's important that there are ways, and again, we're all unique, but there are ways for each of us to kind of say like, am I, am I moving? Am I heading mm -hmm. in the right direction? Am I, I think a big fear is like, am I stuck? And can we just talk for a minute? Like, 
what does it look like if somebody's stuck? What what would be some of the red flags that you are actually stuck in the grieving process? Mm-hmm. And then I know we're going to talk about how to actually process through it. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of the signs that you're stuck in it is you you keep recycling the same thoughts and feelings over and over without really paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. It's like that chatter in the back of your mind. You you just kind of let your mind. And the ego mind, you know, just kind of run the show. So it's like you have these repetitive thoughts that you're not really stopping and examining them. Is that really true? Um, So you also will notice somebody gets stuck if they are not allowing themselves to feel their feelings. Like if they are numbing out or trying to displace the feelings that they have by, um, distracting themselves by uh, using substances or uh, drinking or getting into the next relationship too soon just to soothe and and make these feelings go away. What happens is, you know, we we grasp at these new beginnings um, or we grasp at the next thing that we think is going to make us feel better and it doesn't make us feel better. And we go, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. And we see, you know, the people sort of really shutting down, uh, going into a depression that can really be feel scary, where you just feel like I'm going to feel like this forever. I'm not going to have any joy of life ever again. And we get into a victim sort of consciousness around it. Of I, I don't even have the capacity to to work with this i'm i'm just always going to lose in life because this happened to me right right and and i have actually a couple of clients right now and i experienced this myself where um there was an interest there was a a a love interest or a, a an attraction and it actually felt like grieving stopped because this like nice like high, this nice mm-hmm. enjoyment of, mm-hmm. of a flutter of like happiness and began. But then when it ended, because of course they weren't ready and I wasn't ready for that, mm-hmm. it was almost it, what was interesting. And if you could just speak to this for a second, is it was like a double grief. Now you're grieving, grieving the short term fun connection that you had. Plus there was all this other work to still be done on grieving your longer term marriage. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, that is one of the reasons that I, I, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say I advise, but I just advise people if they're thinking about getting into a new relationship and they're really trying to speed up that process, yeah. you really want to slow yourself down. For two reasons, especially, you know, we work with people going through high conflict divorce. So often there are, uh, you know, divorcing from a high conflict personality and the familiar kind of uh, experiences that they're used to in love relationships, like getting these feelings of, oh, I matter to someone. This, This person's giving me all this attention. It just fills this empty place inside of me. Uh, those are red flags. 
you know, because if you are, you know, familiar with what it felt like to get into that that marriage with this person who was so sweet and loving and attentive and and all of this, and then, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Nice person went away and then you got to deal with all of that other stuff, you miss it. So if you, if you speed up trying to get out of the sense of pain and despair and, and thinking yourself as unattractive, if you try to push that process before you've really taken a look at, well, what is it that I truly want in relationship and partnership? And is this the best choice for me? Um, you know, if you speed it up, you're not only going to, yes, reactivate all the grief from the previous loss of the marriage, but a new grief of, see, I will never win in relationships. I'm destined to do this over and over again and fail. And then you take it in personally. It like means something about, about me. And that's, that's really hard. When, when in fact, it means that there's just more healing to be done so that you can actually attract the healthy version of what you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. So to really know yourself and what it is yeah. that is going to really work for you and your intimate partnerships. Now, I'm glad we touched on that. I think that's yeah. a really important one. Are you emotionally overwhelmed, heartbroken, bitter, paralyzed by fear? In order to effectively navigate the significant decisions before you and skillfully master your life after divorce, you must attend to your emotional recovery. Our 12-step divorce recovery program is an emotional roadmap that guides you to feel clearer, stronger, and more in charge of yourself. Thousands have emerged transformed by the lessons, strategies, and tools our roadmap provides. Divorce will change your life. Enroll in the 12-step divorce recovery program today and ensure that the changes will be life-enhancing. Go to divorcerecoveryprogram.com to enroll. What does it mean to grieve well, Carrie? I think that's like it's such a great topic to talk about next because we're talking about all this, you know, the work and everything. What does that mean? What does that look like? So, you know, we're conditioned by our families, our culture, our society to deal with grief in kind of socially acceptable ways. And these are these ways that we're taught to deal with grief are designed really to help other people deal with you and your grief, right? <laughs> we, we learn the rules, you know, of watching others around us grieve too. And most of the rules that we learn, they're not maybe spoken, but they are felt. They are communicated uh, very clearly. Uh, we get into these rules of how to grieve. And we're going to talk about 
in preparation to talk about how to grieve well, we're going to talk about how to not grieve well, you know, and so we're going to talk about the rules that need to be set aside, examined, mm-hmm. looked at and go, is this really true? And if it's not true, just set it aside, say, I don't have to believe that I don't have to like play by that rule anymore. And the first one, especially you hear this in divorce, it's like, don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. You know, that that variation, like you talked of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, just get over it. You know, it's a divorce. You know, nobody died. Get over it. You hear this, right? We view sadness as weakness Mm. in our culture. And if you share your sadness in front of other people, they're going to feel perhaps this immediate need to tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't feel that way. Don't feel bad. You're better off without him or her. You know, so you start to feel like your feelings are wrong. It's understandable. You feel sad. It's okay to feel sad. And when people try to fix you, they're just doing what they were taught. Also, they're doing that because they're really uncomfortable with you crying in front of them. They don't know what to do with that. So it's like, oh, don't feel bad. You know, you know, just move on. He didn't deserve you. She was not good enough for you. So it, it makes you feel like your feelings are wrong. So that's, you know, you're going to feel bad. So just, you know, let that be okay. And if, the people that you're with can't handle that. Just know that the, the like I talk about, you know, the other people in your life, there's going to be people who are understanding and helpful. There's going to be people who are kind of neutral and either helpful nor not helpful. And then there's people who are toxic, who will tell you these things like, don't feel bad, just get over it. You need to get out there. That, that's toxic to you when you're in the grieving space. Yeah. Rule number two we learn is you should grieve alone. You know, do all your crying on your pillow at night alone. Keep your messy emotions to yourself, right? And you'll probably have a desire to keep on this brave front with others, you know, so you do your crying by yourself. You know, I'm fine. Is You know, it's like, how are you? I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> and you're not fine, right? But you're just you're just responding to this thought that you have of nobody wants to hear that I'm not fine. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear about my problems. So you just keep it to yourself. You're holding it together, stuffing your feelings until you can be by yourself and have your good cry. And it's I don't think it does justice to other people in your life if you're feeling like you have to like keep it together uh, for their benefit. You know, it's really okay to allow them into your vulnerable space and say, you know, I'm really kind of, I'm hurting today. I'm not fine, but thanks for asking. You know, Uh, the other one, rule number three is you have to be strong for the others in your life. Yeah. Hear this a lot. Be strong for the kids. Don't let them see that you're upset. And here's the thing, your kids know that you're struggling. You know, that you may want to consider that you're telling them a message that if they ask you what's wrong and you say nothing, then they know instinctively that you're not being honest because they can tell, they can see, they can feel it. And that's the building blocks really for shame when the family, when that reality 
you know, what they sense and what you're telling them don't match. Yeah. They think, oh, I must be wrong. So they're getting a message that, um, you know, wow, I, I am wrong. I'm the wrong one here. Uh, really, you're doing your kids a disservice to right. like be strong and sort of lie to them about how you're really feeling. You don't want to burden them with your feelings. You don't want to, you know, gush all over them. But it's really better off to just say, I'm struggling right now, you know, but I'll be okay. Um, and it's important to add that second part, you know, so you're reassuring them, you're letting them know they don't have any role in making sure that you're okay. And it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm having a, a tough day, but I'm going to be all right. But thanks for asking. So that's honest. It also validates that it's okay to, mm -hmm. to be sad, to be upset, to be struggling and it doesn't have to last. And so it's also kind of breaking that um, social uh, norm of, you know, putting on your, your best face. If you yeah. can tell your kids, I'm sad, I'm having a hard day and everything's going to be OK, then then they're going to know that they can do the same. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to do that last thing to say, and I'm going to be okay, because then it relieves them of any thought that they have to uh, fix you. Right. Yeah. Very important part. Very important part. And then a fourth rule that uh, I hear a lot is, and we talked about this, replace the loss as soon as possible. You know, it's a that's a mistake I see a lot of divorced people making, looking to replace that partner before they've had the time to do the work, to really integrate the losses that and the grief work that they, they want to do. It's not it's not like getting a puppy, you know, when you're when you <laughs> when you lose your dog, you know, it's just another way that we distance ourselves from the pain of the transition that we're going from this we to a me. You know, and we, we want to be a we again. So it's so tempting to bypass all of that and, you know, just try and replace that person with another person. So give yourself the time to slow down, to learn what you need to learn about your part of the, the marriage breaking down and resist the urge to like climb back into a relationship right away. So you know, often if we don't take the time, we're just going to recreate the same problems in the next relationship. Yeah. We're going to attract the same kind of partner, we're going to play out the same dramas and the patterning that we did in the other one. And I think that the key there is the grieving process is a healing process. And when we don't heal, we do. We go out, we find the same man or woman in a different body. And and then we're just setting ourselves up for more heartbreak. But when we actually sit with those emotions and process them, as we're going to talk about, um, then we're healing our heart and we're we're setting ourselves up for a better possible uh, possibility for new relationship. And so I think that that's key. Yeah, absolutely. And then just touching on this last rule, it's like you should be over it by now. Like yeah. there's a, like a, there's a time stamp, you know, when it's like, okay, all done. Time's, time's up. Time's up. <laughs> what? You're still not over that? Yeah. People say that it's been two months. It was like, 
come on people, you know, it's kind of like this variation that you hear of time heals all wounds, you know, no, not necessarily, you know, who's to say that we've had enough time to heal, you know, these wounds can go deep, you know, and we definitely have a fix it kind of approach in our society. Look, you have a headache, you take a pill, you know, you have pain, you take something so that you don't have to feel that. We're looking for quick solutions to our problems, you know, and there's no timeline for grieving. There's no timeline when you should be over it. And when people say that, they just don't understand your loss. They're judging it perhaps by their experience. And that's not the same. You know, their their experience of their divorce is not going to be the same experience that you have of your divorce. And, and I'd like to say, like, I think the the a great takeaway is if if people in your life, even those who love you dearly, are criticizing um, or or following any of the rules that 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 Carrie just mentioned. That's about them, not you. That's about their discomfort with emotion or grief or their understanding. And so if you could walk away knowing that if somebody's criticizing the way that you're grieving, um, you don't have to take that personally. That Mm -hmm. is about them, not about you, that there is no wrong way to do what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. The mourning is the work that we're doing. Mourning is mainly attending to this emotional level of loss. Mm -hmm. It's expressing on the outside of you what you feel on the inside. So you're not having to hold it all inside. And the intention of mourning is to heal. It is an active process, not a passive one where you're just waiting for time to, to go by. Really what it is, is mourning is the application of love and compassion and self-friendship to the parts where you're hurting, you know, to the parts inside of you that are, are um, in pain. And so healing, you know, restoring ourselves to our wholeness is really what we're talking about here. Um, and only you can choose to enter into healing your grief. And it's almost like it can become something that is done almost on the spiritual level of life. Because if we let the ego and the thinking try to do the healing, we're going to put band-aids on things. We're going to cope with things. We're going to find ways of coping. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the deep healing, it's where we have to reach deeper into ourselves and, you know, the, to, to grieve well, you know, in order to heal, there's two practices that are so important and they are counterintuitive. So when we're in pain and when we're uh, dealing with something unpleasant and uncomfortable, we want to speed up and get through it as quickly as possible. To grieve well, we need to slow down. We need to resist the urge to speed up. Uh, We need to give our feelings and our thoughts and our uh, experience some time to um, be recognized, to be witnessed by ourselves. Um, uh, It's kind of like a mindfulness approach where if we can notice, oh, I'm feeling 
I'm feeling some sadness. I'm feeling one of those waves of grief coming. And if we can, instead of resisting it or distracting ourselves from it, or, or if we can just slow down, take a breath and just say, oh, okay, it's sadness is coming up. Let me just attend to this. Let me just cry. Let me just work with myself in a way that's lovingly compassionate and give myself all the time that I need. It's like, you know, when when a little kid is upset and they come to you and, and they're crying, if you're able to scoop them up in your arms and just say, come here, baby, Let, let's just look at this. And your loving embrace of them is what heals them. And then, you know, their tears are dried and they're scooting off your lap and on to the next thing, right? Well, we all kind of have these inner children in there that uh, come out when we are hurt. And so like adopting that kind of a sense of, I'm just going to slow down and take this part of me that's hurting, take it in my lap, put my arms around it and say, it's okay. It's okay. I'm here for you. I love that. Yeah. Those soothing words that you can just tell yourself. It's so important. Yeah. Now. Paying attention to you also is the second thing. You know, we want to pay attention to everything out there and make sure we're safe and make sure, you know, everything's going to be manageable. But taking this attention inward, pay attention to you, to your thoughts, your feelings, your process of healing. So when you allow yourself to feel what you're feeling, to express them, to release them, you're going to have more clarity, you know, about, okay, your, your thinking is going to come back online to go, what is really going to be best for me? What decisions are going to be best for me and my family? Um, until we tend to our feelings, we're just going to be muddying the waters and having these unclear decisions that are based on reactivity and trying to fix the unfixable. So if we're just saying, I can't fix this, but I can be with it, I can companion myself with it, I can just allow it to be and stop trying to, you know, make it go away. Once you feel that the, the feelings have shifted, because they will, you know, we're not going to cry forever. You, you have a sense of crying and then you feel like, okay, that's that's finished for now. And then you feel the relief. You can start to think about your situation and go, you know, what's going to serve me and my family? I've got some big decisions to make. In the way that you're describing it, sometimes I have clients who are like, I've grieved enough. I've cried and I've cried and I've cried and I've cried and I've cried. Yeah. But yeah. you're describing something that's more intentional and attentive to what's going on, that you're not just bawling your eyes out, that there's, you're describing this beautiful process of slowing down, self-love, asking some questions, trying to understand what part of it, what piece of it, um, to put words to it or to embrace the feelings, which is different from just kind of sobbing your eyes out and feeling like, well, why isn't it working? Well, we get into the feeling sorry for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then that judging part of ourselves go doesn't like that. You know, it's just like, oh, you certainly are acting needy and I don't like that. And so we reject yeah. that part of us instead of going, oh, I know you feel sorry for yourself. You have every reason to feel sorry for yourself. Come here. Yeah. You know, this is just a completely different approach. And then 
when we're crying because we can't help crying, but we got that part of us going, uh, you know, when, when is this going to be over? So I can, you know, yeah. You know, stop being so needy. Stop being, you know, if you've got that going on, you're not healing. You're just perpetuating more, um, uh, self-abuse almost. That's a strong word to say, but it's the one that came forward. Yeah. And I'm hearing that, that validating, that, um, self-acknowledging, self-loving, soothing, um, gentleness is, is the difference that non-judgmental, that soothing gentleness. And, and so just if you're listening and, and you've been bawling your eyes out and we've all been there and you feel like you're stuck, um, there's nuance to what you're talking about, Carrie, that I think makes a big difference too. And so often people say to me, but what do I do? But what do I do? And I know you have some practices to share that are pretty specific to allow people that doing as well? Well, there's a couple of things. First, our feelings need to be felt, uh, welcomed in a way, expressed, heard, and um, accepted by ourselves. And a, a, a really good way, it's hard to do that by yourself. It's just, it's hard to like, like step into that role of, a healer and healed, you know, kind of, you know what I mean? But this is exactly what we're doing, but it takes some time and some practice to learn how to do this. So working with a coach is a really great way to, Hey, I'm really struggling with this grief part. Uh, And so uh, finding someone who's trained in being able to sit with you and help you process through this so that you learn to do it on your own is, is a really good step. And there's a tool that I teach, um, you know, my clients when they're by themselves and, you know, they don't have access to another safe person. Uh, it's, a, it's a journaling tool, but it has a specific kind of um, way of approaching it that's different from just kind of journaling your thoughts. So this is called freeform writing. And it's a tool that I use with my clients that are grieving as a way of helping them set up that safe space that we just talked about for them to access their feelings. You want to get get into the feelings, give them a name, express them and release them. You know, so you hear people say, well, what is it you're feeling? I might ask. And it was like, oh, I just feel bad. You know, like, yeah, that's not a feeling. So what let's name the feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, uh, I feel sad. OK, there you go. We've named the feeling. So start to express that on the paper. So what you're doing is in service to freeing up that energy that got stuck in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, um, feelings are the emotional energy that ride uh, on our thoughts. And so we have a thought, we have a feeling to match it. And if we keep that energy bottled up, it's it's not going to work for us. So we're going to come out in an exaggerated form like road rage, right? Or it can go into our, our tissues, our cells and become a disease. So this is why this is so important to do this. The process is pretty simple, really, is just find a place where you can be 
private, alone, you close the door, you don't want to be disturbed. It's total privacy. So this is a solo process. You have a, a pen and a piece of a pad of paper. You're just going to write down what comes to your mind. You know, you're going to write as fast as possible, not in complete sentences. You just keep the pen moving to match the speed of your thoughts. So you're going to do the process in longhand too, not on the computer. And so when the emotions start to surface, say something triggered and you're, you're angry, right? You sit down with your paper and he's like, how could they do this to me? You know, and you just keep scribbling, you know, it's just keep letting the energy. And sometimes when I'm doing it, it's like, it's not even words. It's just scribbling on the paper, right? I put dents in my furniture from this. You know? <laughs> But it's, it's important. We're just getting that energy out. And then underneath anger is going to be sadness. So keep writing through your tears. Why is this happening to me? Why nobody loves me? Whatever it is you're writing, right? And the thought, the energy comes up through your arm, it brings up the emotions. It's written down on the paper. And when the emotional energy is released, you'll have a sense of this is done. You'll know that you're done. You know, you'll have a sense of relief, a sense of release. And you just take those pages that you've scribbled all over, you shred them immediately or you burn them. You do not reread these pages. There's nothing good here for you. You've just released you. It's like you vomited on a piece of paper. You know, you just get rid of it. Right. It's really important. And don't leave these pages around for anybody else to read because it's it's going to look like crazy talk. OK, so you just don't leave them around, immediately shred them, burn them. And I want to say something. There's nothing off limits to say here. You can say this person must die. You can say whatever it is. Right. It's just you're not going to be judged for the content of your freeform writing. Just say it. Get it on the page. Burn them. Get rid of it. That's the release part. Then you're going to kind of feel in a tender place, you know, and I recommend spending some quiet time with yourself, especially if there's been a lot of heavy releasing, you know, just doing some self-love, maybe some forgiveness work, you know, some affirmation work, a little bit of meditation. You know, these are all, you know, mindfulness kind of work that uh, we teach clients as well. And how often do you do this? I encourage clients to do it. What, you know, it, at least once a week while they're in that active grieving phase or when things come up that you just, you know, you know that you need to work through it. And how long do you spend as much as time as you need? You know, 10, 20 minutes that can do it. Sometimes it can go on for an hour. It just depends on what it is you're doing and doing free form writing does two things for you. First, you're giving to yourself this safe way to express these strong feelings. My husband, my second husband used to call it, oh, you're doing your hate writing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's what it is. The second thing is you're giving yourself the message. I'm here for myself. I'm going to be here for myself while I'm going through this really difficult emotional you know, release. I'm here for me. And, you know, I, I used to when um, I had, uh, you know, my husband living with me, I would have a sign on the door doing freeform writing. 
you want to like let people know that there may be a lot of crying going on. There may be yelling. Don't get alarmed. Don't think you have to come in and help me. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, I'm just like doing my work here. And so, you know, the, the whole thing is an, the, the intention of taking care of yourself, taking really good care of yourself. You know, this free form writing is, is an important way of taking care of yourself, but also just recognize grief can make you feel exhausted. You know, that physical level exhaustion. So make sure you're getting enough sleep, make sure that you're feeding yourself nutritious food. If you can exercise, get outdoors, do the things that really fill your buckets of energy so that you are taking care of yourself physically, taking yourself care of yourself mentally is watching what you're putting into your consciousness. Is it negativity? Is it scrolling endlessly on Facebook and getting in into it with people or is it positivity? You know, read something that's uplifting, watch TV that makes you feel inspired, you know, do something creative, you know, the artwork or cooking, gardening, you know, creating something uh, is really a, a good way to take care of yourself also. And lastly, reach out for support. You know, you don't have to go through this alone. You know, it's so important to find a supportive network of friends, of professionals who can help you, sit with you, be with you, um, you know, help you understand what it is you're going through. Coaching, you know, obviously is very helpful for supporting yourself through this and uh, you, you can't always rely on your family to be the most supportive because they got their own lives, their own agenda, right? They might need for you to be okay and for you to just shut down from being where you are so you can go back to being the normal sister or the, the normal friend that you have been. Your coach has no agenda, you know, they don't, they're not forming judgments about you. They're here for you. They're here to enter into your world and help you step through this with clarity, with calm, with compassion towards yourself. And that's, that's really the main thing. You don't have to do this work alone. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you just, you did such a beautiful job, Carrie, of describing the experience of grief, uh, society's kind of rules and judgments about it. Um, the deep value of and healing involved in it, and then some really good strategies for how to process and release. And so, you know, I would really encourage those listening to uh, listen more than once and um, find your safe people. And definitely, I think that that free form writing is just brilliant and and try it even if you're not a journaler or anything try it see how it feels for you and i love that at the end it's so important that you do not reread it that you toss it that you burn it that you discard it that you're 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 releasing it from yourself and so you don't want to put it back in is mm-hmm. a really important piece and we're here for you um, if you're struggling and you know that you need support, but you've been ambivalent about reaching out. And this 
episode speaks to you, um, reach out. We'll have Carrie's link in the show notes and you can have a rapid relief call with her. If you go to the website, you can go to her, um, her profile and connect with her that way and get the support that you need. It makes a world of difference and it can help you process, um, through this more effectively and, um, and emerge on the other side, feeling just um, whole and healed and ready uh, for your next chapter. Yeah. And I want to just say one little thing about when we talked about how to grow from grief, mm. grief does have a gift to offer you. When, when I, I talk to people, you know, and, and as they are working through the healing part, through the acceptance, through all of that, they reach a point where they go, you know what, as hard as this has been, I'm a better person because of it. I'm more compassionate. I'm more aware of my um, patterning. I'm more um, true to myself. I'm more authentic. Uh, there, there are uh, gifts that your grief will give to you on the other side of learning to adapt to the losses and to do your grieving well. And it's grief is part of life. And there are ways that if you accept it and move through it, um, you are going to grow. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Carrie, for sharing all of that. Um, wisdom and information and, and strategies with us. Um, it's, it's just so vital. And, and for those of you listening, um, listen again, reach out and we just wish you, um, we just wish you a, a lot of love from your support network and self-love and, um, and time and space, the time and space that you need to, to do this processing. And we will be back again real soon with another episode of JBD Team Talks. So thanks, Carrie. You're so welcome. Thank you, Karen. And, and thank you to all the listeners who have tuned in. And we will uh, we'll be back real soon. Until then, you take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one -on -one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.